we were saying earlier, we're kind of getting used to being back in a non-rainforest forest environment. Um, we were in a hotel room and uh, we would wake up in the morning <clears throat> and there would be monkeys uh, out on the window in the balcony. Uh, and it just reminded us a lot of parenting. Uh, and so <laughs> this morning's topic is one that you requested. This is kind of a by request. And it is just about the idea of children and anger. And let me, <laughs> Stephen is already laughing. He knows where this is going. Get ready, Stephen. Uh, Stephen has photographed our family over the years and knows some of our deepest and darkest secrets. And yes, some of those are coming, Stephen. But, uh, you know, the idea of uh, a child being angry is really tough and, and angry or or full of passion and emotion that's coming out negatively. And it may manifest itself for you, you know, in uh, used to we would go to these things called malls, you know, it's a collection of stores <laughs> inside one room. And, you know, the, the child would, would have a tantrum and they would be kicking and screaming in the middle of the floor. And you're a parent and you're standing there. And before you had children, right what did we all do well they're obviously horrible parents they can't control their child and then after you have children if that's your child then suddenly you know the perspective changes with four boys anger negative emotion passion has been something that we've just struggled with terribly and so this morning both of us are going to be extraordinarily vulnerable with you and suggest to you that we don't have it all together but indeed there are some resources that will help you and even as recently as this year um, we're we're just discovering things about ourselves and about how we parent um, that that we really needed earlier uh, because each child is different and we certainly can attest to that being the parents of four boys so i'm going to start where Stephen anticipated that I would start, but I'm going to start at the most critical issue or asset that can lead to violent arguments. Lego hair. <laughs> Some of you don't realize that the hair is optional. It, you can have Lego hair. There are all different kinds of assortments of Lego hair. But if your child doesn't have the right Lego hair, then your child is more likely to be like this Lego guy, very angry and frustrated. And what's so funny is, literally, there are hundreds of Lego hairs, and we have thousands of Lego sets at our house. And we have Harry Potter Lego sets and Star Wars Lego sets. And you know, they come and you can see the model on the box, and then what happens is you, you know, break them apart. And so we, we separate them by color, but we have a box of hair and heads. And we have angry children that argue over Lego hair. So we're going to get back to that story in a minute. Catherine will get back to that story and how it ends in a minute. I want to take you now to uh, Ben's room at our house. And you know this is Ben's room at our house because... The music stand on the right is a clue. Ben is our most musical child. There's a guitar stand down below. And Ben is a runner, so those are all the numbers from the races that he's run in. The other way you know is that this odd thing here 
is a random string of LED lights that are meant to give musical inspiration for his next, you know, Calvin Harris type accomplishment. So that's how you know it's Ben's room. But if you look really closely, you, you need to notice what's on the left here above the, the uh, light switch. And that's a hole in the wall. Now, that is not our first nor only hole in the wall. And that one is not from Ben. Ben has created holes in our wall before, but that one is not from Ben. That one is from Jake in response to Ben. But like all good families, especially a couple who are elders here at Otter Creek, we do the right thing, and that is we cover it up. <laughs> we cover it up with a picture of a smiling child, right? Actually, Ben came up with that, which is so funny that he... <laughs> no one puts a photo above a light switch. Uh, so it's obviously hiding something, right? So there it is. Um, but when you have sons, and it may be the case with daughters, and they're big, okay? So Jake is our biggest density of physical presence son. Jake is 6'8", and all legs. Uh, his inseam is 38. His waist is about a 30, 32. All legs, like a tree he's built, circus tall. And uh, when, when your child gets that big, same thing with Ben when he was a junior in high school, your ability to manage them becomes very difficult. I mean, it really does. They become, in many cases, you know, threatening just when you get into an argument with them. And Jake has been our most challenging child. Catherine will tell you more uh, later, but because most notably he thinks so differently. He processes so differently and that's a measured thing that doctors have helped us with. And she's going to give you an example that we learned from him even when we were with him in Costa Rica about how he processes. But the point is that he had this incredible amount of frustration. And so imagine we're trying to help him launch an adult as a child. He's driving. He's breaking curfews. And it's just not going well. And holes are being punched in the wall. Not this one, but there's a hole by the door where Jake normally comes in that he punched in the wall directly as a result of a conflict we got into about him coming in late after curfew. Now, the theories I'm going to share with you are not for just managing your teen. They're actually for managing any age of child or for parenting any age of child, same as what Catherine will say. I'm just giving you the perspective of the most recent things that we're encountering. And again, in request that you all have had. About uh, more than half of the class has teenagers. And so uh, what, what I found is, especially the third child, uh, I hate to say this, I hate to say this, but it became as much about me as it did about him. And you know, we warned you of that, right? We warned you of that in parenting, that you maybe came to this class hoping that we'd give you tips to fix them. And the reality is, sometimes we gotta fix ourselves. So, Jana, Dean, who's the therapist that's working with Jake in the program in Costa Rica where he's participating in, 
introduced us to this book, The Anatomy of Peace. And I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I feel like my business life and personal life really gets kind of integrated. And this book, book is from the Arbinger Institute, and it's about conflict resolution. And it's widely used by businesses about conflict resolution. But she had us read this book to try to help think about how we interact with Jake, because she knew that part of what we both regretted, because we had written it in our letters, was the reality of some of those arguments and where they had gone. They had gone to dark places, holes in the wall, very physical places. So Jana had us read this book. Now, here's another thing. I, I read and like a lot of business books, and there's a great one out um, called the, um, uh, oh shoot, The Ideal Team Player. It's by Lynn Sioni, the guy who wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And he writes in an allegory style. That's the same as this Arbinger Institute book. And I don't love those, right, where they kind of create this faux story and dialogue between people. I just want to, like, get to the conclusion. Give me the stuff at the end, right? But that's what the way they do this. And I started listening to this book. That's how I read. I was, I, I was listening to this book, and I was so convicted by this book as it relates to both my work life and my, re my relationship with Jake. So I want to introduce you to some concepts from the book, but I need to warn you, Catherine's part of the presentation is so much more kind of practical. This is more theoretical, but hopefully you'll, you'll get something from it. It was extraordinarily convicting to me in terms of, of what I got from it. So it goes like this. There's this pyramid that we have. This is not quite in order. I'll, I'll get the whole thing up there so you can show you. When we approach conversations, with conflict. What happens is we focus almost all of our amount of time on trying to deal with the things that are going wrong. When in reality, where we need to focus our amount of time is on helping things to go right. Now again, I warned you, it's theoretical. It's, it's almost philosophical. <coughs> Meaning we're dealing with the symptoms rather than dealing with the causes. We're dealing with the outcomes. So it would go like this. Maybe Jake said he would be home at 11. Maybe on this particular occasion it's 12.30 or 1, 1 in the morning. I'm waiting for him at the door. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting <coughs> to pounce on him at the door, right? Door opens, I'm waiting to pounce. And what I'm going to deal with is the fact that he's late. I'm going to deal with the fact that he's kept me up that he's kept Catherine up. I'm gonna deal with the fact that we're worried. I'm gonna deal with the fact that once again he's broken our trust. I'm gonna deal with all of those realities. I'm gonna deal with that. And as Catherine will explain to you in a moment, I, you know, I was a, a, a debater, a forensics guy in college, and, and, uh, uh, and pretty good uh, <laughs> at debate. I like to win, okay? And I know, candidly, that I can win against my son. I know I can. I'm a better debater than you. It's logical. And so I'm there sitting at the door waiting with a snare for him to come in, and I'm going to deal with the things that are going wrong rather than dealing with how to help things go right. And so what happens is we let our children see uh, the, the sense of behaviors 
we let our children see what's happening kind of above the surface. And this is the same theory, by the way, uh, a subtle der derivative of this is what the Lowry family teaches in their conflict resolution that they brought to Lipscomb uh, from Pepperdine. But what, what our children see is our behaviors. They're seeing what we do. But in reality, what's happening is there's this line, this metaphorical line, this surface. And what is below the surface, according to the book, The Anatomy of Peace, is how we see. How we see. The child sees what we do, but below the line is how we see. And so they introduce this idea of a heart at war. Again, I know it sounds crazy, I know it sounds theoretical, but it goes like this. We see others as objects if your heart is at war. They're obstacles, they're vehicles um, that's misspelled, they're irrelevancies. If your heart is at peace, you see others as people who have hopes and needs and cares and fears that are as real as my own. And in the Arbinger Institute's book, The Anatomy of Peace, what they say is when we, as countries, go to war, right, we see North Korea simply as an obstacle. That's the way the whole narrative goes politically. They're just an obstacle in our way. They're, they're crazy. They're crazies, right? And so our heart kind of develops this theory of war rather than seeing the other folks as people. In lots of movies, even as recently as uh, uh, Dunkirk, lots of movies position the conflict between seeing the enemy as a human being, right? They describe that in great detail in the, in the, in the plots of movies. And so that's what the Arbiter Institute is saying here, and I'm thinking, oh, this can't apply to me. But it did. Because when Jake would be late, I'd be like, that gummit, he's an obstacle for me getting restful sleep. He's an object in the way of all of our other compliant children. And so literally, this is my perspective, I would approach the conversation with Jake with a heart at war. I was convicted because I had the same theory about some of my executives at the office or some of the conversations I have at the office. I would approach them, wow, this is, you know, this is an obstacle in my way. I would dehumanize them. I know it sounds crazy, but it, it's really true. So the book talks about these diagrams, uh, these box diagrams that, that you can get into. And one of them is called the collusion diagram. And it, it goes simply like this. I see Jake in something that he does. He does something, and I see it. I see what he does. And then what, I, what happens to me is I do something, and that's what he sees. But you see, this whole collusion is taking place because we're not thinking about how do they feel. What are they thinking? What is below the surface? And then what happens, especially in a business situation, is we develop allies. But this will happen in parenting too, right? You and your spouse will say, or you and your buddies will say, yeah, I'm going to break that child. You know, I'll fix it. I'll get them compliant. I can't believe they're acting like that. I can't believe they're disrespecting me. And you develop allies. But guess what? Their friends, Jake's friends, 
are similarly aligned with him. Parents don't understand. We're different. We have different values. And so what happens is you develop allies around the framework of what you see based on what he does. So they give, I know a lot, it's a lot of information, but they give these kind of boxes that you get in. The, the first box is the better than box. This view of myself as I'm uh, superior or I'm important or virtuous or right. I view others as inferior, incapable, <coughs> irrelevant, false or wrong. I view the world as competitive, uh, troubled, the world needs me, and I have feelings of being impatient, <coughs> disdainful, or indifferent. So the, the book takes you through four of these boxes that you can get in. The first one is the better than box. The second one is the must be seen box. And this is the one where it happens when the temper tantrum happens in the mall. And that is the view of, our, our, of myself is I've got to be thought of well. And so sometimes I have to be fake to be thought of well. My view of others is that they're judging me that they're threatening me, and that that's my audience. The view of the world is it's dangerous, it's watching, it's judging me. My feelings are I'm anxious, I'm afraid, I'm needy, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. That's the must-be-seen-as box. The I deserve box. Similarly, you go through and you see how the, the feelings change. You can read more about this in the book. And then lastly, the worse-than box. The point of the Arbinger Institute is that we approach a conversation or conflict with another human being with this baggage that we carry. And, and I just got to tell you, as I was reading the book, I was just so blown away by the fact that, yeah, no doubt. What's happened over time is Jake is our most difficult child. I've kind of just had this heart that we got to fix him. It's my job to fix and deal with and make the things go right rather than trying to help to create new causes so that you know things will go well just as this uh, uh, diagram suggests. So we've got to spend more time, disproportionate amount of time on the, on the uh, pyramid here, getting out of those boxes that I showed you earlier. Building relationships with others who have influence over Jake. We'll send you a copy of these slides too, by the way. <coughs> Building a relationship with Jake. Listening and learning. You know, we talk about the reflective listening. Boy, I wish I had that in those conversations with Jake because it helps kind of extract how is he feeling. Catherine will talk more about that in just a moment. Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand and then to be understood. It's a basic premise of conflict resolution. And then teach and communicate, but that's not what we would do. We would correct. And so what he saw was this kind of whip taskmaster who's kind of on him, curfew, comply. we got to get that on time, right? He didn't see this as a caring human being who was part of the emotion we were feeling is we were really worried about him. But that wasn't coming through. So I spent a small amount of time, or the most amount of time, dealing with things that were going wrong rather than helping things to go right. It's a lot of information, and we went through it quickly. What questions do you have about what I've shown here as a theory of managing conflict with your child? And then Catherine's going to clear it all up for us. Yes? So in the moment, yes. 
when Jake is late again, yep. how are you going to use yeah. these principles to help things do yeah. right and not fall into that old pattern? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, and it's actually you and Catherine think a lot of life. I've got, I'm going to, uh, let's come back to that because I'm going to yeah. talk a little bit about that specific example, actually. The key thing is rather than sitting at the door ready to bounce and kind of having this narrative all over your head, right? Knowing that I'm, you know, I'm a better debater than I'm going to win this debate, right? I've got to find time to do reflective listening and. and build a relationship to understand what really is happening in that moment is he doesn't see the value of curfew uh, as much as I do. Uh, part of the material we've worked with says don't teach compliance, teach beliefs and value. But my father, who used a belt, and my mother who used a switch, taught compliance. And I think I've told you before, Dr. Craig Clark, who works with us, has told us that parenting template that I use, that will work with you. But I still try to do um, In the midst of those times when you find yourself in a heated like a conflict, is there a place where you, you can recognize or need tips like, okay, I've got to back down now yeah. and be your best? Yeah, and again, Catherine will sh share with you how Jake's behavior escalates, but what was happening with mine was escalating too. Now imagine at one in the morning, I'm going to win this theological, you know, values-based argument with my son at one in the morning, right? Not good. So what the Arbinger Institute says is that you too have to find that peaceful heart. So you've got to be reflective about, okay, where, where are times when I'm peaceful? And I know this sounds crazy. I know this sounds crazy what I'm about to tell you. But what they would say is, remember the times when you had incredible joy with Jake. That's the relationship that you have with him not this hostile relationship. She's ready. She's going to clear this all up. Okay. Okay, so um, I'm going to go really quickly. Um, there's a book that I've read a lot over the years called The Explosive Child. This is a newer, updated version. Highly recommend this book if you have a child that is easily frustrated who seems to not be able to handle um, transitions and changes, is just incapable of handling frustration. Um, they become quickly overwhelmed, they're unable to shift gears, it can kind of come out of the blue, you're not expecting it. Um, they're very rigid thinkers, black and white, um, just intense meltdowns, lengthy. Um, you can tell them something over and over and over again, and they just don't seem to get it. Like, they can't learn a new pattern of behavior. These are called explosive children. Now, everybody has anger. Everybody has frustration. There are some that may end up with a diagnosis like oppositional defiant disorder and all. I'm just talking about 
kids who don't tolerate things not going well. Um, so I want you to remember the statement, children will do well if they can. They will. Nobody wants a to have a meltdown. Nobody wants an argument with their parents. Nobody wants to f the attention, negative attention from people around them. There's something about these kids that is making it difficult for them to tolerate things. Say the statement one more time. Children do well if they can. Um, so if we're seeing a child with a heart at peace, we'll remember that. And so one of the first things I will challenge you with, and I talked a little bit about this when we talked about academic and learning differences, um, you as a parent have to um, understand your child's deficiencies, if you will. Um, there's a, um, I guess, go the next picture. Um, I put this picture in here. This was this past week when I saw Jake. I hadn't seen him in 11 weeks. There's, there's a lot of emotion in that picture. But part of the last 18 years of my life has been trying to understand how his brain works so that I can understand his anger and frustration. Um, go to the next slide. Um, Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience, and it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I feel like this really speaks to this as a parent going to the necessary steps to understand how your child thinks. So this will look like testing, understanding if they have processing speed, uh, language processing issues, auditory processing, ADHD, anxiety. All of these are part of the pieces to understand their anger. It's like the iceberg. You might see the anger at the top because it's out above the ocean, but underneath, what is all of this stuff complicating it underneath? You have to figure that out. Um, so, um, I'm trying to go quickly here. Um, there is, um, there are therapists um, that do a therapy called ABA, they're a supplied um, behavior analysis therapy that will help children change behaviors based on what's happening in the environment. This takes time. And not all children respond well to this therapy because of all of those other things underneath the iceberg. Um, go to the next slide. So while we were in Costa Rica this past week, we had a family therapy session for about two and a half hours on Tuesday. And it was, it was it was great, it was hard, but it was good. And I wish I had taken a picture of a drawing that Jake had made in his journal that really helped put a, a visual for us on why he gets angry and what happens when he gets angry. Jake was supposed to come home Tuesday and he's gonna stay a little bit longer because a couple weeks ago he had an anger episode and these have gotten so much better and he hadn't had one in a long time. And the good news about this one is it happened quickly and he recovered quickly. So he is learning strategies. But when he got frustrated a couple weeks ago, he, in his 6'8 self, pounded a table and broke it at this place. So he's going to stay and do some work to earn money to pay for that table before he comes home. 
but he showed us this picture he drew and it, he had a picture of his head with thought bubbles all around it and he had thoughts of what happens when he gets frustrated he had all these thoughts written out that his brain was thinking I need to walk away I need to take some deep breaths I, it was things that he knew he was supposed to do but the next picture showed his mouth spewing anger spewing anger his processing speed and his language processing disorder make it so hard for him to do what he knows is the right thing to do. So, these kids, when you say, Jake, use your words, use your words. When he was little, he didn't have, have a lot of words at first. We had to do speech therapy. He would just slug his brothers when he got mad. Just hit him. Sometimes they deserved it. Sometimes they did. So when he started talking, we, we a lot of times would say, Jake, don't hit. Use your words. Tell us how frustrated you are. Tell us what you're angry about. And there's a time when we heard World War III erupting in the house, and John ran up to see what it was, and Jake was on top of Ben, slugging him, telling him how angry he was. <laughs> John, you know, got and he said, but I was using my words. <laughs> like, okay, we're, we're slowly progressing, I guess. Um, these kids need constant reminders about the strategies. So you're going to get frustrated as a parent because you're like, I have told them three million times. This is not, you have to tell them three million and one. And then you're going to have to tell them three million and two. And you're going to have to keep working to figure out strategies for them because it's not intuitive to them. It doesn't come natural. This is like another form of a learning disability. They have a learning disability in um, just tolerating frustration. Okay, so some strategies quickly. Um, start with teaching respect from the beginning. Yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir. Transitions are a big piece. You've got to give these kids a lot of warning, especially when they're younger, but even as they grow up, things are, we've, we've got to shift. We've got to stop playing video games at a certain time. We're going to set timers. We're going to, before we get on, we're going to agree. You know, we're going we're gonna to talk and agree to amount of time. And, you know, this is, this is we're going to give how many warnings? How many warnings would you like to have? You know, and just let them be a part of this process for transitions. When it doesn't happen that they get off, there has to be a consequence, and it has to be dispassionately invoked, okay? It can't become a war. This is what we agreed to. This is the consequence. That's easier said than done. If you are a parent who's always in a hurry, this is not going to go well with a child who's explosive. You're going to have to learn ways to slow down and help them transition. Anticipate frustration and meltdowns. Um, I felt like this was like my whole life for a while is anticipating, okay, the whole family is going to be together. What are, where are the trigger points going to happen so that I could be anticipating them and trying to make sure I'm getting in between kids and having buffer zones and we need, we need space. Everybody's going to be crowded in grandmother's house or whatever and Jake's going to need some time alone because it's, we can't be all on top of each other all the time. Um, um, let's see, um, mindfulness, yoga, those are really good things. Jake's been doing that in Costa Rica, and he said that has been so helpful for him, just learning to calm himself. Um, other strategies, when, 
when their frustrating frustration happening, he's had to learn to make a temperature gauge and identify that he's escalating. He's going from 10% to 20% and, and understand that when he gets about halfway up, he's got to start calming himself down before he erupts. Um, teach them strategies about um, uh, calming himself. He does a thing five, four, three, two, one, zero. Okay, if I'm starting to get frustrated, I'm gonna look for five things. I see five shoes. Four. Just something to take your mind off what's happening onto something else, calm yourself down. Uh, a therapist can help you with that. Um, this is really hard when you have multiple children, okay? There's obviously been some damage to relationships between our boys because of Jake's intolerance to frustration. Ben has a scar right here, it's, it's from Jake. Um, it's embarrassing when their friends are over and Jake has a meltdown. So a lot of time is needed to spend with siblings to explain, not, they're gonna feel like Jake's getting special treatment and getting away with more, but it's gonna be really important that you build that, rep, um, that um, understanding in their minds about their sibling and why this is happening and how they can help. Um, it's really important that you use when you're frustrated that, um, the language you use doesn't degrade your child because when it's, when it's calmed down, they are gonna remember the hurtful things. Why can't you remember to do this? I have told you, you know, those things are not helpful in, at any time. Um, to your question about the um, curfew, the one o'clock in the morning is not the time to discuss why it was late, it's not. No, no, no good is going to come out of that. That needs to be, before he leaves, this is the time we expect you home. Let it be, you know, what time do you want to come home? This is what I was thinking. Let, you know, talk about it. What's, what happens if you don't come home at that time? Car, you, you know, car keys have to be ours for, for a week. You know, you come up with whatever the concept, that's all that needs to happen is you're home, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Because it, it's not, he knows he's, done, he's not met curfew, and he knows that he's messed up, and it's just gonna escalate at that point. Um, you've gotta go back to it tomorrow when everybody's rested, has the heart of peace, and can enforce the consequence at that time. Um, Let's see, allow natural consequences. Um, you've got to refresh yourself and take breaks. This, this is, I talked about that before. That's, that's a really important thing because this is exhausting to parent a child like this. And I, I do believe that there's a spiritual war going on. Uh, one of my favorite books, I, I, I give this to all the new moms at Otter Creek, this, The Power of a Praying Parent. Uh, it's an old book. But um, just praying specific scriptures and prayers over your child. This, this is um, organized with um, themes of things that your child may be dealing with in these chapters. It's a really great book. But praying for their heart to be at peace, praying for them to make connections that are lasting so that they can use strategies so this doesn't happen more and more. Um, the next picture. 
So Stephen Jerkins took this picture. Stephen does all our boys' senior pictures. And when Jake and Hank were arguing over, you know, we have thousands of Lego hair, really. But there was just this one that both of them wanted. I mean, Jake was, was probably 12, I don't know, 14. I mean, I, he, he didn't play Legos really much anymore, but was actually playing with Hank. And um, they were arguing over this one specific one. And Jake got really angry, and he punched a hole in that window. That's, it's been replaced at that point. Um, I hope that at some point, if you're dealing with a lot of this right now, and you have a child who's causing a lot of trouble in your home, a lot of um, unsettling times, that you'll just remember this picture. This, this was a part of a senior picture. Like he thought this was a good picture to remember. This is something he dealt with, and he's still dealing with, and he's getting a lot better at it, but this was a part of his childhood. And well, and, and Stephen knew the story, and so Stephen has this kind of therapist way about him anyway, and so he asked Jake if he could take the photo. What you don't see is Stephen is actually out on our roof taking the photo through the window. It's a dormer window, which, you know, is dangerous in itself. But it just shows that he's come full circle, that Jake could laugh about it. You should also know in the moment, Jake cut his hand. But when we asked him, you know, what were you thinking, punching the window over Lego here? He said, well, I didn't punch Hank. Great point. We can replace a window. We can't hardly replace Hank's ribs, you know. So the, this is progress. This really is progress. So you have to see yourself kind of on this you know, journey where progress comes in steps too. What questions do you guys have? A lot of information we present and we're watching about time, but any questions before we go? Can, can I say yeah. one thing? Um, for parents of younger kids, where we have an explosive child in our house, is um, there's a book called No More Meltdowns, which is a little bit geared towards younger um, children who are starting to show signs of um, anger and inability to express anger and it's really really good um, no more meltdowns and, yeah no more meltdowns okay. um, you can get on Amazon but I think just from the behavior standpoint one of the things we we do ABA therapy with our um, youngest child and remembering that two things every behavior has a consequence and that consequence isn't necessarily always bad you know, um, one of the approaches that we're starting to look at in our house is everything is a privilege. Every single thing that you want to do is a privilege. And so, you know, the approach that we're trying to look at is if you're home by curfew Friday night, you get to go out Saturday night too. Instead of taking something away, which the explosive child is gonna focus on your mean, is saying you will earn this with compliant behavior. And I think that's really big. The other thing that we have learned, and these are really and truly revelations over the last seven months that someone had to teach us. And that is one of the things that Catherine said is um, children don't, you know, when you have a child like Jake or Lucy, they don't transfer skills from one setting to the next. And so while Jake has learned you know, not to break a table at home. He's in a totally different environment. And so, you know, children just don't, they don't transfer a lot of them. And so they may do something at school 
that they haven't done at home in two years. And you're like, are you serious? But you know better. And, and they don't know better because it's a different environment and they're more, they can get escalated. And the other thing, like Catherine said, one in the morning is not a time to have that discussion. When you have a child that doesn't know how to express frustration, and you know that because they have meltdowns, is don't even, just leave them alone. You know, teach them de-escalation skills, but they are incapable of controlling their behavior when they are that escalated. If you think about the most angry you've ever been in your life, I mean, that's the way these kids get all the time. And they literally cannot control their behavior. It's like all of a sudden you're back to a two-year-old, you know, kicking and screaming. And you can laugh at a two-year-old when they do that. It's, it's not easy to laugh at them, but that's truly their capacity. And so we've been down this journey for the last eight months, and, and ABA therapy has changed our life completely. You don't have to have a totally explosive child to engage an ABA therapist. It's truly, if there's a behavior you wanna change, and a lot of it focuses on parenting, not because you're doing a bad job, but just like reframing our approach to this has calmed our life exponentially. And it, it has to start from us because they don't have the skills. We can't teach them the skills if we don't have them. So thank you, Terry. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming. We'll talk more about this next week. Thank you.